Let's read the word of the Lord together. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I pray, that we may hear and receive your word, the word that the Spirit will speak to us in the midst of the preaching. I don't ask that people remember what I say so much as I ask that they will remember what you say. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray a special blessing upon them today. And I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back to a place of repentance so that not one of them will be lost. I thank you for hearing our prayer. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, researchers identified a characteristic of human nature they called the theory of dissonance. Theory of dissonance. This principle says if there is to be mental health, then what a person thinks and what a person does must always agree. When a person does something contrary to what he or she thinks, then dissonance or disharmony will ignite within the conscience. And no one can endure that kind of internal tension for very long. Something has to give. What these researchers discovered is that many of the mental and emotional and even physical illnesses that people suffer are directly attributable to this problem of internal dissonance. Anytime a person does what he or she believes is wrong, this sets up a disharmony. The conscience awakens and creates a troubling feeling that wrong was done. At the same time, God is not silent, for he sends the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to the soul. And when this happens, one of two things occurs. Either the person changes the behavior to agree with what is known to be right, or else the person will intentionally change their thinking to align with the behavior. It's built into the system. In order to function properly, in order to remain balanced, in order to remain healthy, there must be agreement between the thoughts and the actions, between the inside and the outside. When they are at odds, there is tension. And we have stress, we have guilt, 
we have mental anguish, we feel bad about ourselves, we are easily annoyed and angered. The slightest provocation can drive us into a funk of depression that lasts for days and even weeks. Then this mental and emotional turmoil begins to express itself in physiological symptoms. So we develop digestive disorders, we have high blood pressure, we have immune systems that don't function properly. Sickness and depression and negativism then makes us where we are not a lot of fun to be around. It causes people to keep their distance from us. Thus, we feel rejected and lonely, which only serves to compound the problem. Now, don't you feel better for having to come to church on Sunday morning? <laughs> Throughout this series of messages I've been bringing on Sunday mornings, I've talked about how belief determines behavior. You're going to live by what you believe. So the key to behavior modification is belief modification. One of the biggest reasons our lives get so messed up is because we try to live according to a faulty belief system. So far in this series, I've talked to you about success, significance, satisfaction. Last or a couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about security. Today, I want to talk to you about yet another important part of our lives. I want to talk to you today about shalom. Now, that's not a word we use a lot. We, when we think of it, we usually think of it in terms of peace. Peace is a big part of it, but shalom encompasses much more than peace. Shalom is wholeness of being. Shalom is when all the parts are fully integrated. Shalom is when there is balance and harmony and connection. Shalom is when all parts of life, physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, all of them are hitting on all cylinders. What I want to show you in this message today is that peace, shalom, real, lasting, abiding shalom is not about all the circumstances of life being calm and orderly. Instead, this peace, this shalom is an internal issue. The world says when chaos is eliminated and everything is nice and orderly, then we will have peace. The problem is we can never seem to get everything going our way at the same time. You know, there's always something out of round. There's always something going in contrary motion. You know, some people think if they could just get a raise, then they won't be under such heavy financial pressure and they can finally have peace. You know, wives think there would be peace in the relationship if only he would shape up. Husbands think there would be peace if only she would get off his back. Children think they could have some peace if only their parents would quit nagging them. And parents think there would be peace if only their kids would straighten up. We keep trying to bring peace to our world, but there isn't a person on the planet who can make that happen. The reason it's impossible to guarantee external peace is because nobody can completely control other people or circumstances. Just about the time one group is persuaded to act one way, another gets some crazy notion and begins to act contrarily. Just about the time we get relationship conflicts resolved, then the weather patterns get disrupted and violent storms destroy the peace that is so fragile. 
What I want you to see today is that the real issue of peace, of shalom, is not the resolution of interpersonal relationship conflicts. It isn't the resolution of workplace conflicts. It isn't the resolution of international conflicts. It isn't the resolution of conflicts that occur from the disruptions in the natural order. The real issue of this shalom peace is an internal issue. The real issue is how to resolve the internal conflict, this theory of dissonance, this conflict that exists when the outward behavior is in disagreement with the inner conscience that is prompted by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The real issue of shalom peace is the conflict between sinful humans and holy God. Until that conflict is resolved, there can never be any real, meaningful, shalom, peace in the life of a human being. You can go to all the therapists you want. You can attend every support group on the planet. But until you make peace with God, there will always be this internal dissonance. When you look into the pages of God's word, you find that the Bible testifies to a truth you already know by experience in your own heart. There is a conflict between natural man and God. The conflict is a battle of the will. Your will against God's will. Your way against God's way. Your desires against God's desires. Your plans against God's plans. What you think is best for your life and what God knows is best for your life. There's conflict with that. When you decide to follow your own plans instead of God's plans, God calls your disobedience rebellion. He classifies disobedience and rebellion as wickedness. And we hear the Lord as he speaks through the prophet in Isaiah 57, verses 21 and 22. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waves toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See, as long as you insist on your own way, as long as you leave God out of the equation of your life, you will never have any real peace. You will never experience shalom, the sense of wholeness and well-being. But there is another option. Listen to the promise God makes to those who obey his voice, follow his plan, and are obedient to his will. His promise is Psalm 29 and 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. His promise is Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. His promise is Isaiah 26 and 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. God promises when you get involved with his program for living, listening to his voice, obeying his will, following his plan, then a byproduct of that relationship with him is shalom, peace. How, how does that sound? That sound like something you'd like to have? The question is always how. How do we get peace with God? Well, I'll tell you, it's really very simple. The way you make your peace with God is by coming to faith in his son, Jesus. That's the meaning of Isaiah 53 and 5. Here the prophet speaks of the marvelous works of redemption the Messiah would perform on the cross. And he writes, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Without exception, each and every one of us is in need of a Savior. We are alienated from and in conflict with Almighty God. He is good, we are evil. He is holy, we are wicked. He is pure, we are defiled. We have absolutely nothing to commend us to him. In spite of all that, because of his grace, he loves us. He wants us to be restored to a meaningful relationship with him where we are his children and he is our heavenly father. Because it was so important to the almighty for us to have a restored relationship with him and because we are not capable of doing anything that gets us to a place where we can be acceptable to a holy God, God did all the work on our behalf. Praise God. That's why Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The death of Jesus on the cross satisfied all the demands and paid the penalty for all your sins. Somebody ought to say praise God for that. See, he died so you might live. He bore your sin so that you wouldn't have to bear it any longer. He became the bridge that spans the chasm between God and man. The moment you fully trust in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, the moment you respond to the invitation to come to him and believe in him, the moment you stop trusting in how good you are and start trusting in how good he is, the moment you stop leaning on your own works of righteousness and fall head Heavily on his grace and mercy. The moment you surrender the control of your life into his hands, at that moment, the conflict between you and God is resolved. At that moment, the spiritual war is over. And Jesus writes a peace treaty between you and the heavenly father, and then he signs it with his own blood. That's what Romans 5 and 1 is talking about when it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you make your peace with God by believing in the completed work of Jesus on the cross and surrendering your life to him, then the Bible says you are justified. Now, that means two very important things for your shalom peace. First, it means you are released from the guilt of sin. The blood of Jesus releases you from the guilt of sin and makes it as if the sin had never been committed in the first place. I thought somebody would be happier about that than what you just demonstrated, but it's okay. I'll move on. It doesn't matter how bad or how good you've been, you're given a brand new slate. But that's not all. Because to be justified isn't just the eradication of something negative. It's also the impartation of something positive. To be justified means you have been given a new beginning complete with the impartation of the very nature of God. When you're born again through faith in Jesus, you're given a brand new slate as if you had never sinned, and you're given <coughs> the very nature of God. With this new slate and this new nature, the battle between you and the Almighty is over. You are no longer at odds. You are no longer in conflict. Instead, now you have 
peace, shalom with God. Somebody ought to give him praise if you believe that today and you're thankful for it. Now, now that's a wonderful promise, peace with God. But there's another dimension to this shalom peace that goes beyond even that. Because the Bible says we can not only have peace with God, but it also promises that the peace of God can rule in our hearts. In John 14, 27, Jesus is talking to his followers and he leaves us a legacy of peace when he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Well, how does that sound? Anybody here a candidate for that kind of peace in your life where your heart isn't troubled, it isn't worried, it isn't fearful? That's, that sounds pretty good. The passage we read is our text. You thought I'd forgot about it, but we're back to it now. The passage we read is our text at the beginning of the message from the book of Philippians chapter 4. tells you how this is possible. How to experience the peace of God. It starts by making peace with God. You don't make peace with God, none of this is going to work. But once you've made peace with God, then here's how to get the peace of God. First of all, in verse 6, we are told that the way to experience this peace, this shalom of God, is to prohibit worry. He says, be anxious for nothing. The Phillips translation says, don't worry about anything whatsoever. Now, that's just the opposite of the world system, and it's the opposite of the way most of us do it. Some of us, instead of not worrying about anything, we worry about everything. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching where you're living now. It just got real in this house. There are even some people I've run across who run out of things to worry about, so they start worrying they don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> some people worry because they don't have anything, and then, then they get something, and they worry that somebody's going to steal what they have. Some of you are worried about your hair turning gray. Others are worried about your hair turning loose. Some of you, it's too late to worry about that. <laughs> Some of you worry about your kids. Some of you worry about your jobs. Some of you worry about your health. It nags you, it gnaws at you until you are literally consumed by worry. And somewhere along the line, you need to get off the worry-go-round. Somewhere you need to remember Psalm 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You need to remember Psalm 100 verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You need to remember God is still sovereign over this world and its affairs. You need to remember he has not abdicated his throne. You need to remember he has not surrendered his scepter of authority to another. You need to remember that this sovereign God is your heavenly father. And in Romans 8 and 28, he is still 
causing all things to work together for good who love him to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. You need to remember that this sovereign God in Matthew chapter 6 looks out for the lilies that don't toil or spin. He takes care of the grass that clothes the hills. He watches over the birds that do not reap nor gather into barns. You need to remember that this same sovereign God values you so much higher than the lilies and the grass and the birds because you are made in his image and he has committed himself to see that you are taken care of and you don't have to be anxious for anything because your heavenly father watches over you. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Prohibit worry. Once you prohibit worry, then the Bible would tell you here, pray in detail. Listen to verse 6 again. He says, be anxious for nothing. Watch this. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I again like the Phillips version that says, but tell God every detail of your life in earnest and thankful prayer. I want you to know today that when you pray, God listens. And he answers according to his word and according to the will of his word in your life. Let, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever experienced the power of God as he worked in your life in response to prayer? Anybody ever had God answer prayer? Come on, lift your hand up good and high. Hold it up. All right, now, while their hands are raised, just look around you at the testimonies of God responding to prayer. I'm telling you, God still responds to the prayers of his people. There is a power in prayer that isn't just good for the people of the Bible, but it works in this age as well. So you can tell all the details to God. Don't leave anything out. Don't worry about bothering him or troubling him. The Bible says he cares for you. 1 Peter 5 and 7 encourages us by saying, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. The Amplified Bible says it like this, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. What is it that has you troubled? What is it that's causing you anxiety, causing you grief? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it your health? Is it your job? Is it your past? Is it your future? Tell God all about it. Release the weight of it on him. Tell him the details. And then, as you are telling him the details, take the next step to experience the shalom peace of God and practice praise. Sometimes we miss that part in verse 6 that talks about with thanksgiving. But if you want to know and experience God's shalom in your life, then you need to learn the value of practicing praise. See, praise is a way of demonstrating your faith in the person and the promises of God. <laughs> when you tell God the details, quit whining and start praising. Thank God for the privilege of being able to come to him. Thank him for the help he's provided in the past. Thank him for the promise of help in the present. Thank him for caring enough about your eternity to send his only son Jesus to die for your sin. 
Thank him, thank him for loving you enough to send the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and draw you into a relationship with him. Stop focusing on all the negative circumstances you've been in and all the abuse you've been subjected to. I'm not diminishing that by any means. I'm not trying to say it doesn't matter. But I'm saying get your eyes off of that and praise God for his present help right now. Praise him that you cannot, whoa, 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 don't clap yet. Praise him that you can't undo all that's been done to you in the past and all the wrong choices you've made in the past. But through him, your past does not control your future. Your future is in his hands. Now clap. Your future does, is in his hands. He's your savior. He's your deliverer. He's your keeper. He's your helper. He's your restorer. I'm telling you, there is no way you can praise and worry at the same time. When you praise, you stop focusing on the problem and you start focusing on the solution. When you praise, you, start, you stop looking to yourself and your resources. You start looking to God and his resources. When you praise, faith rises and is released. When you praise, your will comes under subjection to the will of the Father. When you praise, you create an atmosphere that attracts the presence of the Almighty. And you create a seat for his glory to occupy. When you prohibit worry, when you pray in detail, when you practice praise, then if you want to step into this dimension where you experience the shalom peace of God, you have to get down to verse 8, and you have to program your thinking. Y'all doing okay? All right. I'm about done. I like to say that because of the smiles it brings to people's faces every time I say that. You know, sometimes I'll say in conclusion about four different times in the message just to get that kind of, you know, it just makes me feel good. But this time I really mean it. <laughs> sort of. See, you can determine not to worry. You can pray in detail. You can practice praise. And you can have this dramatic release of God's presence and power in your life. But if you don't follow through with verse 8 and program your thinking, then all you're going to have is an emotional release. See, I've discovered in some, what is it now, 30, 39 years of being a lead pastor, and I can't do the math this fast to tell you how long I've been preaching, so y'all, I'll tell you later. But I've discovered in all these years that it doesn't really do any good for me to stand here and tell you not to think negative thoughts. It's kind of like telling you not to think about pink elephants for the next 15 minutes. Now, you probably hadn't thought about pink elephants for a long time. But now that I've told you not to think about them, they're right there in front of your mind, cavorting around, and it, it, it's impossible to get them out. Don't think about those pink elephants. Any, no, don't think about that. The, 
The way to stop thinking negatively isn't to tell you to stop thinking negative thoughts. The way to stop thinking negatively is to start thinking positively and to fill your mind with positive things until you completely crowd out the negative. Now, I've got a little simple illustration here. You wondered what all of this was for up here. Some of you have been sitting there all service long going, what in the world is that up there for? Well, here we are. It's just a little simple illustration. See, here's, here's this mind that's been thinking all these negative things. It is pretty dirty, isn't it? Now, I could dump this out, but then I just have an empty mind. <laughs> I don't need to go there. <laughs> just because if I because then I'm susceptible to anything that comes along. Too many of you are looking to get delivered. When what you need is not deliverance, you need replacement. Because see, Philippians says what you do is you fill your mind with what is good, what is right, what is honest, what is of good report. If there's anything virtuous, Anything worthy? Do you see what it's doing to my mind? You flood your mind. And the more you do that, it replaces all of that old nasty stuff. Does anybody see what's going on here? <laughs> Flood your mind. If you want to experience the shalom, peace of God, you've got to program your mind. You've got to change the way you think so you begin to think in agreement with the word of God. You have to program into your life truth and nobility and justice and purity and things that are lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. The way you think will determine the way you believe, and the way you believe will determine the way you behave. When your behavior on the outside is in alignment with the belief on the inside, then the dissonance is replaced by harmony and you can live in the shalom peace of God. Instead of focusing your thinking on what the circumstances say, instead of focusing your thinking on what the surrounding culture says, start focusing your thinking on what God says. God says he loves you. God says he is for you. God says he has chosen you. God says he values you. God says he will help you. God says he will deliver you. God says he will preserve you. God says he will never leave you. Think on these things. Fill your mind with these things. When you do that, then verse 7 takes over, and the peace of 
God, which surpasses all comprehension, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His peace is a sentinel over your heart. His peace stands guard over your mind whenever something or someone comes along and tries to cause you to worry or become anxious or afraid. The peace of God steps up and says, just move along, just move along, just move along. That's what the Lord offers to you today. You can have shalom, wholeness of being, peace with God. Once that is established, then you can have the shalom of God ruling your life. Not only that, but then verse 9 says, if you will practice those positive things, if you will focus on those things that are praiseworthy and excellent, if you will fill your mind with what is right and pure and lovely of good repute, if you will prohibit worry, if you will pray in detail, if you will practice praise, if you will program your thinking, not only will you have the peace of God, I like this part the best, but the God of peace will be with you. You don't just have the peace of God, but the God of peace, you will have him because he will be with you. How does that sound? I'm about to bless myself. Pastor Larry, come, come play something in the key of G. Today, the Lord wants to take you and make you and mold you into his own image. He wants to relieve you of every guilt. He wants to redeem you from all your past. He wants to take every twisted place in your life and straighten it out. He wants to take every rough place and make it smooth. He wants to touch you from the inside out and make you brand new. He wants to give you his peace. Peace that can come from no other source. A peace that will surpass all comprehension. A peace that will stand as a guard over your mind and your heart. A peace that will be embodied in his very person. The God of peace to be with you all the days of your life. Shalom. Wholeness of life. That's what the Lord offers to you today. Stand with me, please. I want to know if I have anybody here today that would say, Pastor, I'm a candidate for that. That's, that's something I feel like I need. I've, I don't want to be on the worry-go-round anymore. I need, I need this piece you're talking about. If, can I just see your hand? Yeah. Now, I want to tell you, it doesn't do any good for you to come in here and listen to me preach about this and for you to say amen and clap your hands and say hallelujah and then go out and live the same way you've been living. It, it, this, will be, this will have become an exercise in futility if you do that. But if you'll take these, these principles and you'll begin to apply them, oh, it won't happen immediately. It won't happen overnight. But little by little, the bad stuff will flow out. The good stuff will flow in. And you'll turn around one day as you keep practicing that and you'll discover, ah, not only do I have the peace of God, but I have the God of peace with me. Let's 
bow together. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love. Make that your prayer, would you? Yes, I know him by name. I just feel like I'm talking to somebody right now that your insides are just churning. And they have been for, for quite some time. You're just tied up in knots. And I would say to you, by the word of the Lord, peace, be still, relax, God's got this. Oh, I just sensed a release of the Holy Spirit into somebody's life when I said that. God's got this. You don't have to hang on to it anymore. Let it go. God's got this. You're not going to accomplish anything by worrying and fretting about it. You're just going to hurt yourself. Be still. Relax. Let it go. God's got this. Oh, and God's got you. God's got you.